It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Well, I don't see the point in waiting any longer. Let's bring her out. A star attraction, the one you came to see. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Ms. Judy Gold. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you know I usually have comedians on the podcast, but lately I have been branching out <laughs> and having other incredible people who are impossible and fascinating. Okay, that's a, that's a private joke. But I am so excited. You know, it's so, I do a lot of research for my podcast, but when you can read a book that your guest wrote that is so engaging and fun to read and like page turner and brutally honest, you know, for someone like me, it's just like a gift. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have author of Bob Goes to Jail, the one and only actor, ice cream maker, Dad, brother. Bad drug dealer. Really bad drug dealer. Really bad yeah. drug dealer. Um, <laughs> uh, half, half Jew. Half Ladies Jew. and gentlemen, Rob Cedric is here. Woo! Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Judy. That's like the nicest intro I've ever gotten. Actually, but I'm a, oh, I'm a full Jew because mom's a Jew. So if- No, if it, I know. That's right. Mom's a Jew. But you, you know, you can't get rid of that that waspo Sedgwick. It's but the, my it was really it was funny because a really good friend once said to my mom, she said, "Patsy, I don't care how many pairs of tennis shorts Robbie owns, he's still Jewish." <laughs> I love that. I love so, that. And so I love you, you guys. And you talk about being Jewy in the book. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. I just got to say, guy, when the book's coming out, it, July twenty seventh. July twenty seventh. Like, if you want summer reading at the beach, this book is fucking great. And especially if you're from, you've lived, or you know New York City, it's just, it's such a fun read. I mean, I mean, I know it wasn't fun for you, but it's a fun read. It's like... <laughs> it's fun in retrospect. Um, yeah. So, Rob, you, um, I just, like, your life is fascinating. And I think it's sort of like... This book, you know, because my uh, I grew up in New Jersey, but my kids grew up in Manhattan uh-huh. and uh, but they went to public school. They didn't go to your fancy private schools, uh-huh. uh, but they had a lot of fancy friends. Right. And um, also, like just the experience 
I mean, you did, you were in Croton on Hudson until you were like eight, correct? Yeah, about that. Yeah. Good for you. My God. Wow. Oh, it go, oh, everyone comes on and it's like, this is your life. That's and incredible. Then you move, you moved to New York, uh, with your mother. Yeah. Jew. And, Jew. um, your new stepfather, her new Jewy, annoying, like controlling. Yeah. Really tough guy. Wealthy, tough guy. Tough yeah. guy. Yeah. Guy husband. Yeah. So it's just so funny reading about growing up at that time and just, what my kids, you know, because one, one of my, oh God, this fucking hair. You look great, don't worry. Is an athlete. Uh-huh. And the other, um, I would say, was a little bit like you. So uh, not, uh-huh. I'm saying a little bit, but not. Okay. So from the very beginning, you are from the incredible Sedgwick family, which. Signers, I don't know how great they are, but. Well, you know. signers of the Declaration of Independence, you know, like just history here in the United States. We've been here a long time. Right. I think that's the only thing that, you right. know, we've just been here for a while. If you've been here for a while, some things have happened. Right. So you've you been know. here very early. The problem is the um, American or the Native Americans uh, were here before you, just laying out. Oh, yeah. No, no, I know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you're. I guess it would be your first, your second cousin, Edie Sedgwick. Yeah. Was, uh, she was like, yeah. Right. Cause she, I think she was first cousin once removed of your mother. I was trying to figure it out. I think she's first cousin once. Let's see. She was my first cousin, my dad's. Right. And then, so, so I guess it's second cousin. Second cousin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So wait, first cousin. Yeah. Right. Or first cousin once. Removed. Something like that. So. If she had a kid, that would be her second cousin. She's your first cousin once removed. Okay. Right. So I'm just saying this, and we don't have to talk about it, but I was obsessed with her. I read that book, Edie, when yeah, I was like 21. Funny, yeah. And that book, I had never read a book like that. And it was really in chronological order. And you would yeah. and and they took all these interviews yeah. and put them together. So you would just see the name of the person who was talking. And that was the story of that period of her life. And then would be a next yeah. person and it would just continue on. It was fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm beautiful. And yeah. Yeah. So you grew up in Croton on Hudson. Um, your father was a Sedgwick. Oh boy. Um, and you have a sister. Young, you're the eldest. You have a I'm the oldest. Yeah. Kira. Who yes. Many people may know Kira Sedgwick. And uh, you have a brother, Nico. Yes. And then you have another, like Michael Stern. Uh, Michael's, then I have a bunch of, I have a bunch brother, of uh, half brothers and half sisters. Brothers, so right. I have, uh, uh, from my dad's first marriage, yeah. Henry Stern. Henry who Stern. My father introduced me to, uh, us to at a Harvard Yale game as a friend of his because he hadn't seen him in so long. So, which was pretty <laughs> bad. Yeah, pretty bad, right? I mean, dad, look, I love my, my real dad was great. He was a, a sweet guy, but yeah, he dropped the ball a lot, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was really, it was, really not so great and um so there's there's henry and then there's michael stern who's yes. pretty world-renowned guitar jazz yeah. guitarist plays with miles yeah. davis yeah. blood sweat and tears yada yada and then um um half sister holly and they're all really they're really interesting people yeah. and they still lament to this day that i mean my dad died two years ago but they still lament to this day that he wasn't there 
And they're right. like mid mid to late sixties. And when you talk to them, they're like, like you talk to Mike and he's like, yeah, man. And he wasn't there, you know, right. like, what the fuck is that? You know, I mean, it's fascinating. You yeah. never get over that shit. Yeah. It stays with you. Yeah. It fucking stays with you. It's really tough. And so I try to, I, I'm always there for my kid. I do it way imperfectly, right. but I'm really on top of it. And it's right. like, you know, and I fuck up all over the place. I know he's going to, he's going to get older. Why do you swear right. so much? Why did you do this? You're so right, right, right. even says to me now like daddy that's really inappropriate right you know oh, like please my kids do too it's like, <laughs> fuck but he's seven right they're getting really precocious and yeah. like they also i and my son my younger son what like when he was like 12 went through the space where everything i said like i could say open the refrigerator he'd be like that's racist every fucking <laughs> thing i said i'd be like can you go down can you take the recycling out that's racist every and i was like shut the fuck up Okay. Okay. So, so Caleb, no, because I got him on Bugs Bunny. Thank God. Okay. And he's on Bugs Bunny and he loves it. And he he's memorizes like every episode, what Aww. season, who directed it, the animation, the quality of the animation. He's partial to Fritz Freeling, not as much Chuck Jones, later mm. Chuck Jones in the fifties. His first one, his favorite is like Wacky Wabbit from like 1939. But he's, we were seeing one the other day and he was going, that's racist. They would cut that out today. That's racist. That, oh, that's a problem. Crazy. But he said it pisses him off because they're such great cartoons. And he said, compared to the, the, the stuff that they have today, it's so much better. It's right. ridiculous. And he, he thinks they're, they're, they're being like, he said they're being, you know, judgmental about classic cartoons and it really pisses them off. So. Oh my God, I love this. Got them. Oh yeah, no, well, he's you great. Know he's going to go into show business. And you know what's interesting I hope about not. that? I know, but it sounds like it. But cartoons, like that is so fascinating to me because number one, you know, they're saying it's racist because we know more now. And, right. you know, you, and when you apply the, to the way we think today to like the Dr. Seuss thing, you know, when you apply the way we think and the things we know today to then, because Dr. Seuss was like Mr. Social Justice. Oh, totally. Person. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, it's like it, the history, it, you really need to know the history and you can't apply the way we think today to the way they, you know, the, the intent of then, you know. Yeah. But that's that's why we, we have the cancel culture. But this is so interesting. This is another thing I, I teach. And one of my students, I teach, you know, people how to write one person shows. And one of my uh. students years ago lived in the Philippines in a hut and he became a classical pianist wow. by listening to the mu background music of cartoons and imitating it. Wow. Isn't, Isn't that, that amazing? Yeah. That's great. That's All so right. great. All right. Back to you, Rob. So I have, well, I have um, lots of Bugs Bunny references in the book, too. Uh, yeah. I'm telling you, it's such a good fucking book. Um, Thank you so wait, much. There was another Thank reference you. you had, and I was like, oh, my God, I say that all. Oh, you you said, like, here's Ben or something, and I was like, oh, yeah, oh yeah, I, said, I, yeah, said, yeah. I do that all the time. Well, so here's Robbie when I'm, Robbie. When I, when I'm going into court. Right. When I'm going into court, and I'm like, and it's such a weird experience when you go to court because it's like it's you've seen it a million times on television, and we know what that – I mean, literally – you know, movies, TV, whatever. And, but when you're actually doing it, it's just so surreal. It's like your face is on your face and you're just kind of like watching yeah, and you can't way, believe this is happening, you know? The way you wrote about it 
as sort of like this out of body experience. Oh and, yeah, totally. And your inner dialogue of your mother and your your stepdad and your your father. Your, it was I love and your your stepmom. It was really amazing. Um, yeah, when she said, "Here, I, I hope you have a breath mint." Yeah. No, she said because she goes, she's like, "Do you have a breath mint right where I'm going to go in?" And I said, "Yeah, I do." And she said, "I hope your lawyer had a breath mint because if yeah. the judge smells his breath, <laughs> surely you're going to jail." <laughs> that was so. Funny. And you're not, and then you cut to my close up and. I'm like, oh, come on. You've got to be, I mean, you couldn't make that up. Yeah. You know. Um, so you grow up in, in uh, Croton on Hudson. You have. No, we started, we started out in Yorkville and my oh. dad was district leader there. We started out in York, Yorkville at Brownstone for like the first three years. Oh yeah, that's right. And then we moved to Croton about 65 and I have that reference in there when he's running for district leader. And, and then, uh, and, and it, I, I was on first Avenue and he put me on, top of the car because the guy who was supposed to stump for him was late and I got total stage fright they put me he put me in front of a microphone and all I could say was vote for my dad and it was like so lame I had flop sweat at three I was just like oh no this is so pathetic and then um and then Bobby Kennedy showed up and he was late and then my dad was like thanks Bobby and he's like sorry Duke because that was my father's yeah. name in college was Duke and then they took over and Bobby Kennedy did much better than I did. Uh, well, you know, he had a gift. Yeah, he was good. Do he had really nice him? teeth. Yeah. He had great teeth. That's what you remember about him. I remember looking up and seeing like, you know, the teeth. That was the main thing I remember. Oh my God. I loved him. Can you fucking believe that? It's, it's, yeah, it's awful. It's awful. Um, your mom was a speech Therapist back then, Therapist yeah. or teacher for actors back then. Yes. Like, so at some point when you moved to the city, you'd have a lot of actors coming in, and she had sort of this. Oh boy. Midwest, you said Middle America, perfect. Mid Atlantic, sort of. Yeah. yeah. Be, She'd be speak in speech and speak yeah. very well, and it would right. be so annoying. But she never <laughs> spoke like that in real life. But I do have Edie's eldest eldest uh, sister, Alice who uh, we might do something in Great Barrington if she doesn't go to Portugal. She's a brilliant woman, brilliant. And she actually talks like that, but that's the way she talks. She'll say, oh, Rob, alas, I can't, oh you know, God. but it's real. It's right. not put on, you know, and it's just, and she's a fascinating woman. And uh, talk like that. Yeah. <laughs> It'll never happen. I remember my grandfather spoke like that, and I had two aunts who spoke like that. Right. And it's 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 another era, man. It's just like you know, it's just yeah, gone. I could never do stand up comedy talking like. <laughs> Alas, I said, what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> hey, everyone. You know. One of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids, and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity. And eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality and they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. 
They have Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto. I just did Chef's Choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to Factor Meals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay? Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50, to get 50% 50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. You ask your father in the car if you're if they're, your parents are gonna get divorced. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And he says. Yeah, and then uh, what were you six, seven, eight? You regret you said eight. Yeah, I thought I thought it pushed him over the edge with that one. Yeah, right. And you said and that you regretted in that moment as an eight-year-old even asking that question. Yeah, knew it. Yeah, well, they've been separated for a long time, but it was just uh, it's it's hard, you know. I mean, I don't know if you've gone through that, but yes, I have one of my best friends who's not in this book, but he said I went to Riverdale with him, and he said uh, said you were crushed, you were really crushed, and we've been friends since we were fourteen. He said you were just you know about your dad leaving, and it's just you know that's tough for a kid, you know. Yeah, you know, I I my my first partner who I had my two kids with, she. We got divorced. Well, we weren't legally married because there was no gay marriage, but you know, right. we separated. And the kids were seven and a half and two and a half. The two and a half does not remember, uh-huh. and, which is perfect, right? And the seven and a half year old had the worst time with it. And oh. still, I think still there's so much. There's still a lot of pain and agony that goes with it, but it's hard. It's you yeah. know. I, I'm I, sorry, Judy. That's yeah. Tough. It's just and you you know you don't. The last thing yeah. you want is to see your kids suffer. But yeah. Um, okay, so then your mother uh, is dating all these people. You said guys, uh, pre like everyone. Yeah. And then she meets this other guy, this guy Ben Heller. Yeah, yeah. Who is loaded and yeah. his, his townhouse is full of art. Yeah. Um, and you move into this huge. Oh yeah. It's crazy. You've never, I can't man, even see. it was like moving it like imagine moving into like a room or several rooms at like the Met with right. Jackson Pollock, blue poles, all the great echo by Jackson Pollock, all the great Rothko's, the really great Rothko's, which go for like $500 million right, right now. 
Clifford Still, Barney Newman, the big Newman that, that hangs at the at MoMA. It's Herectus. I can't remember the name, right. but it's huge painting. Plus all this African sculpture all over the place. So, and we grow up like middle, really right. middle. I mean, we didn't want for anything. We felt fine. But when I when we walked into that thing, we were just like basically shit ourselves. I mean, it was like there was a butler. There was oh, like, yeah, you talked about that. Fucking, yeah. you know, and like taking my coat. And I'm like, I got my coat, you know, right. I'm eight, I got it. You know, and it's right. like, no, I'm taking your coat. It's like, oh, okay. And then these, there was this wood paneling, like when you walked in, like really fine, like you knew wicked expensive right. wood. And I would run my fingers through it when we lived there to clean my nails. <laughs> And of course, when you walk in and saw this place, you were just like, I mean, I, you'd never, we'd never been in anything like this before. And it was like, we're having dinner at the dining room. We meet my stepbrother. That was not the easiest thing in the world to be. And uh, he's like, and I say it in the book, he's like ringing an invisible bell and like a right. butler's and people magically appear to take food. And and I said, like in the James Bond movie, that would be the secret thing. They hoped to open the door for the man-eating sharks. Right, right. You know, and it was just crazy. You and know, it, it was funny the way you said, when you were moving in, you moved into Ben's door daughter's patty i think her patty name yeah yeah her who's room. really cool she's great yeah yeah she was leaving to go to college she couldn't wait to get out of there she could, yeah, you said, huge smile on her yeah, face and i'm like, like have fun in my room like you know and you were like, you're like why is she so, so happy, happy. <laughs> she's like really like way happy and of course when we got there and the thing is it's funny because this was at 151 central park west then we ended up moving to the townhouse on the east side Right. But my sister, when she started seeing my brother-in-law before they were married, they went by the, the old townhouse and she and my brother-in-law is like, oh, my God, that place looks amazing. Right. She said, yeah, it looks great from the outside. But believe right. me, being on the inside was no fun. And it was yeah. really it was really like, you know, it was also like the 70s. So people right. parented different. And you were like, like I was going to school when my when we lived with my mom. And my mom and dad were separated. We lived at 300 Central Park West, which right. is now like incredibly fancy. Yes. But back then, this was 69. This is the Wild West. I mean, I was in court by the time I was nine years old. Right. Okay. And it was like, um, you were just, uh, it, it was, I was taking the kids, I was taking Nico to school, you know, and we were taking the bus and doing everything on our own. And you know, dealing with New York. And I have a couple of mugging stories in there. Oh my God, the mugging yeah. story. Yeah. Wait, I got it, this one, and which that, was that, the one where, all right, there the was cutlass? one. The one with the cutlass? Yes, you, you're like, a hey, whatever. You you would go to Schraff's or you'd go yeah. to the east side and you walk through. Schraff's the best hot fudge you've ever had yeah. in your life. You've ne that, There's nothing that replaces it. 88th and Madison, right? Oh yeah, and it's the greatest. You, you would... You'd go with like one of your friends and then yeah. you, you were coming home through Central Park. Yep. And you you had already been mugged. Uh, yeah, been, I, I was a I was a veteran by then. Yeah. I had been in court already. I testified. Yeah. I had been like I knew something was happening like two blocks away, right. what to do, how to handle it, not to get killed. You know, I mean it was like it's so funny. And then this this kid comes out with a machete. Oh yeah. And you're like, and he's like this is the then we were surrounded, but then right, one guy yeah, came out. You see someone behind him, and then yeah. we were. It was an ambush. We were completely surrounded. I was with my my little brother and a guy called Robert and me, 
and they had a they had a machete to my neck. One to and Robert. The thing is, at Shrafts, Robert had been telling us how tough he was and how he had been mugged and how, what 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 a great champion he was and how he could overcome this and he right. was just like so tough. So sure enough, it happens. He's crying like a baby. I'm right. feeling terrible, but also I don't want to get these guys upset because I don't want to die because right. make them nervous. They have one to my brother's chest and then they start negotiating. Like, okay, so we'll give you the money back. And we had six pieces of candy. And you gave them six pieces of candy and whatever yeah. was left from the $20 your mother gave you. Yeah. Right. And then, and then Rob starts hysterically crying Yes, and they feel guilty. They're like, all right, we you stop crying? If we give you like half the money back or something, and then we got all the money back and three yes. pieces. They, they made up for three, pieces, three of pieces of candy. Yeah. So it was a different, you yeah. know, it's, it's just it's, so funny how street smart you were at eight fucking years old. I think a lot of kids who grew up in New York were, I mean, you, yeah. you had to be, you know, right. I mean, it's just like, it was a tough time. Yeah, man. It's like, it's like Smurfville now, New York, yeah, I you know? know, I mean, it's like, it's still a great city. It's the greatest city, but it's like, you know, and it was, but that's what made it great. You were right. with everybody and everybody kind of had to get along, you know, do the best they can. And it was like, it was a certain respect in a way that everybody had for each other. And it was really, it was great. And you just, I love the, the way you talk about, um, every there, everyone was from somewhere else. Everyone oh, yeah. was a different color, different shape, yeah. different background, different parent, you know, and then your parents send you to some like waspy. Oh God. Yeah. The Goddard gaieties. That was yeah. the funniest thing in the world. And you're like, and you're there for like, an hour with their brother. So you're like, with my brother. Yeah. Was it one person of color there? And you were like, I got to get the fuck. Nikos, I said to Nika, I was like, why is this place so disgusting? And he said, there's right. not one black or Puerto Rican person right. here. And we left that. We never went back. It's, it was the funniest thing. It was like some guy, some kid with like, you know, custard hair and this perfect looking girl. And they're doing this. Remember this thing? Like, and we were just like, what the fuck? I mean, it was like, you know, and we went to the day school, which is now Trevor Day. Yeah. But it was a really like amazing place. And it was like, you look at the yearbook picture and it's a whole mosaic of right. everybody. And, you know, there was a certain, we all really got along and it was just, it was great. It was right. just a different, I guess, I don't know, a moment in time. And, but anyway. It was but it's just the, the dichotomy of you getting mugged and then walking in to see, you know, Jackson Pollock on the wall is oh, yeah. Yeah. crazy. Yeah, no, that was just, yeah, it was crazy. It okay. Was, so it was insane. Then you move over to the east side to one of the biggest townhouses. Huge. Yeah. In the city. Yeah. And your, your parent, your mom... And your stepdad are like on a separate floor. Oh, so yeah. you're pretty much on your own. Yeah. Me and Nico and they, are on our own. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> you are, you start doing drugs. How old were you? I don't know, like 15. Right. And I mean, I, I had the second chapter. I have like my sister and I are snorting yeah. like Coke that, and the, she was like 11 and she was the most street savvy person at that age you ever saw. And that's what I illustrate that's in the book, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And she, uh, yeah, she had all these funky people working for us. They got ripped off constantly. There were right. con men. And then of course the guy Linus, um, who's, you know, 
who there was a literary agent I had when I, this was years ago and I met with her. She was like, is, is the character Linus still with us? I said, no, he died. She said, thank God, because we would have a lawsuit like you wouldn't. And she said, um, and she said, if this were, if his character were in fiction, no one would believe it. It was, it's pretty unbelievable. And you, I remember you said that when you first got there, and you, and you saw the butler and you were like, uh, and you saw where the butler lived, like pre-cable, there was cable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like an electric type, right? Like, yeah, crazy. And you said, oh, how do you like living in this joint? And they, the butler was like, this is not a joint. Yeah, it was downhill from there. Right. Yeah. yeah. So your stepfather was a really tough guy. He asked you to move paintings. Oh, yeah. Um, and then would fucking scream at you because. Yeah you know, it would get caught in the door or whatever. And anytime you did anything, it was like a trial. Yeah. You got yelled at, you know, I mean, if you're, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you yell at your kids, but it's yeah. benign, you know, and they're right. not scared. And they apologize. And they're but like, he never apologized for anything. And he would scare the shit out of you. And these paintings are like, you know, you knew what you were dealing with. And I was really careful. Like, you, and these are like now, I mean, Blue Pulse is with the Australian government. He sold that for 2.1 in 71, oh I think, which was, un, that was Rembrandt prices. Right. And it was like, and that now it's like t- priceless. I mean, right. it's like, there was a buyer who actually, Ben's dead now, so I can say it. But there was a, it was an anonymous buyer got in touch with Ben, said he wanted Blue Poles. How much do you think it would cost? And Ben was like, it's priceless. I mean, you're talking about near a billion dollars. And he said, well, I want you to ask. And, but this is the flip side of him. So he went to the Australian government and he said, I have a buyer for Blue Pulse. The Blue Pulse hangs with the Australian government. It is a, it, it, it is a treasured, the most treasured right. painting they have. Right. In order to graduate high school, you have to see this painting in Australia and apparently write about it. Okay. Wow. That's how valued this is. Right. So Ben went to the Australian government and he said, billion dollars for this painting. And they said, wow, so much money. What do you think? And Ben said, I don't think you, I don't think you should do it at all. The painting is too valuable to your country. I think you'd be crazy. But this is another thing. He would have gotten a Bonzo commission on that. Right. Right. Bonzo, like huge. But he said, but that was the, the, the paradox in because he was like, no, you should, he, he loved the art. He was so in love of the art. He loved it. And he loved these guys and he loved Jackson and he loved, Mm -hmm. and he was the reason, I mean, I won't go into it, but there was a huge legal thing with the Marlboro gallery when Rothko killed himself and Ben was a legit art dealer and Mm -hmm. this defense lawyer is ripping through everybody. And Ben just sat there and looked at the guy and the guy, he ripped up the lawyer just by sitting and looking at him. Right. And the judge said he had never seen, wasn't supposed to get back to Ben, but he said he never saw a witness like that. Right. But that was the thing about Ben. He flipped you out just by his looking at you. Right. He was, he had a powerful presence. Oh my God. And, and you know, you read the book and you're like, oh my God, this is fucking crazy. The chapter you, you talk about, um, you're 15, Kira's 11. Yeah. You guys are doing Coke. Yeah. Um, had a great time. Yeah, your mother comes to the door yeah. and it's like, 
oh, let's go shopping with, you know, to Kira or something. And they kiss her smack on the lips to buy time for Kira to take care of the Coke because it's all over the desk and there's a huge mirror and a snake. And I'm, and I'm figuring I'm just doing the best I can. And I kiss her on the lips to stop her. And she, we're both like, oh my God, I think I crossed a line here. Right. And then I looked over and Kira was just like, right. She was fine. You know, she was just like, hi mom, how are you? And you know, and then they left and you went back and you were like, oh, the COVID. she saved it. She saved, saved it. it. She got some like message thing I had which was hollowed out in the bottom. Right. You're talking like seven seconds. This 11 right. year old. I mean, she was like, she was great. Yeah. <laughs> you're smoking pot. You're and then eventually before school, before school, before school, eventually oh, yeah. you're just you're getting up and drinking. Yep. First thing in the morning, First six o'clock, six thirty. Yep. And it is, you know, you know, I think of my son, Henry, and I know now he's 24 that, you know, they would, (laughs) they would meet before school to smoke pot, which, you know, okay. I did a little bit of that too. No, Judy, I can't believe it. I know. Oh my God. But you never think your kid's going to fucking do it, which is so stupid. Right. But um, you're like wasted all the time. Oh yeah. At school and yeah. have alcohol breath. And there's this one great story of you're in love with this girl, Tara. Oh yeah. She was amazing. Takes, yeah. And it takes she was amazing. six months to ask her out. Yeah. Um, and, but the story about Tara in the math class and yeah. uh, you, you got your test back and you had a 55 and some kid uh, was really upset because he got a 95 instead of a 98. And Tara says to the teacher, like, what, what, it's three fucking points. Just make the kid happy. Like, what's your problem? Yeah. And, and you were just, you just fell in love with her. Well, what I, what I did is I threatened, I, I flipped over the desk in front of me. This is how right. scattershot the school I was at was. I flipped over the desk in front of me and because he was yelling at Tara. And I said, in the middle of class, right. I said, I didn't know how to fight back then. And I said, you better shut the fuck up. I'm going right. to kick your ass. Don't you fucking talk to her that way. Right. And he was And he was like shocked because I was such a sitting in the back fuck up and stuff. Right. And, but I was like, I think I have a line in the, in the book, like I didn't have any idea how to fight, but I was going to learn pretty fast. Right. And you, know, you had this like faux confidence because you were wasted. Wasted. Totally. Yeah. Well, there's a drunken confidence you have with yeah. like, you can, there's scary thing about drunks because you can take a crowbar to their head, but it doesn't matter. They'll just keep coming. Right. Cause they don't care. Did your parents, I mean, your stepdad and your mom, did they ever, um, say, like they had no fuck. They were so not aware of what you were doing ever. Did the teachers ever say, I think Rob is like, you know, it was, I mean, it was a different time. Like I was, I, there was a friend, Ethan, who didn't make the book, but it right. was like, we got drunk before tennis practice. And I was like, I went to tennis practice and it was either an ace down the middle or with the ball went over the fence and I right. was falling all over the place. And a couple of days later, the, the tennis coach was like, Rob, come here. I heard you were drunk at tennis practice. And I was like, yeah, I was. He said, okay, the next time you do that, you bring me. And I was like, oh, okay. Got it, Mr. Miller. Right. You know what I mean? It was just a different. Right. 
time, you know? Right. And I remember making out with a girl and she was like, no, I'm dating someone. I said, I thought you were single. And she's like, no, I'm dating doctor, whatever. One of the right. science teachers, you know, it was just like, yeah. Oh my God. I can't tell you. Oh my God. They would have kids over to their houses. Like- we had, we had a guy, we had a teacher doing mushrooms with us. He, would, oh. he was in the lower school. Right. He was, he was a super nice guy. Never did anything to anyone. Just wanted to hang out. But it's right. like this older guy hanging out with teenagers. Everyone's tripping. Right. And it was like, it was just a different time, you know? Right. I mean, you so you went you were doing you you know pot dr- uh coke uh alcohol and then you tried acid that your first acid trip pretty you bad yeah. yeah yeah you described that in the book you know you're it's sort of like you guys were on your fucking own you yeah. know yeah it, they would crazy. they would leave they would leave for the weekend they'd go to uh they'd go to uh east he had a place east in east hampton. hampton yeah and we'd just stay in the city and the second they left uh and they were along, along with this guy linus that she hired who was a remarkable cook um yeah. remarkable classical uh recorder player remarkable artist and brilliant like genius but crazy as a loon, you know? And it was like, and he had the best Coke because his brother had been the dealer. Right. His brother did two years state for a major cocaine distribution and he had the best Coke in the city. And so we would get that from Linus and Linus had a connection at a restaurant that was on Lexington Avenue. And I can't remember the guy's name, what I said in the book, but it was like, he was the guy we got our Coke from and right. we would like talk on the phone and we'd talk in code because we didn't, right, if the right. phone was tapped, you know, being very like, you know, super fly, you know, yeah. I mean, it was hysterical. And, and we called them recipes. Like, do you right. have any recipes? Yes, yes, you know? yes. <laughs> and then you end up going to Bennington college. Yes. It's just amazing. You go to this great fucking school. Yeah. It, I don't know. It the whole thing, the whole your whole upbringing is just fascinating because you do know you do have smarts. It's not like you didn't learn anything, but yeah. and you're culturally aware and you know about art and and music and all this shit. Yeah, but you're fucking wasted all the time. Yeah. Well, college, I, college, I, I, I was a little better. At least I got my right. work done. I mean, right. I was still fucked up. I got my work done. And, um, and there were some amazing teachers in, uh, at really like remarkable. Like right. I missed, I missed Malamud by like that much. No. Yeah. And, wow. um, but I mean, but the, 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 the literary pedigree there was pretty amazing. I tried to get into a writing class. I won writing prize in my high school two years in a row yeah. because but it submitted anonymously the essay was because if mm-hmm. they knew it was me i never would have been right. considered they would have been like but that. i won two years in a row and um, um but when i hit bennington i thought i was a i could write and i and i joined this writing class and it was an advanced and i read my thing i just got killed killed and it was tremendous it was like walking into a ring right I box a lot and it's like walking into a ring with someone who's so much better than you are and they're just cleaning your clock all over the place. You get traumatized. Right. And I was just, and so I, I, that was it. I mean, I, I legged out the class and I just started turning to acting and, uh, but it was, but there were some terrific teachers and I did get some, I did get some work done. You know, I, I did do well on some things. So it wasn't a total loss. Right. And I mean, 
And the acting I took very seriously. That yeah. I, that I treated professionally. It was, I was it's ne- interesting that you you know you found something that you had respect for and you really never drunk during a performance. Yeah. Always did my work. It was way ahead of everybody else because I had committed to it and I knew what went into it. Right. Because you know, my sister was a professional at that point. Right. And um, my godmother is Joanna Merlin. If that doesn't right. ring a bell, she was Hal Prince's casting director. Right. She's a renowned teacher. She's a remarkable woman. So I knew what went into it. Right. But it wasn't a joke. Um, but it was like after I graduated, I got a gig the second I got out. And I was making real money, you know, for 84. Right. And it was like... But, you know, and, and, and I thought like, oh, I'll just do this, you know, right. this stupid soap opera because I want to be a Shakespearean actor. Right. And it's like not having no idea how hard it is. How much work. I mean, it's so funny because, you know, um, Mike Brady on the Brady Bunch, Robert yeah. Reed, was a Shakespearean actor and he hated being on the fucking Brady Bunch. But, yeah. You know, the money. Cool. You had a lot. You had a lot of stage actors who right. did not want to be on TV because right. they loved the stage and they were devoted to the stage. I love the stage. I love life. Well, it's more. It. it I mean, yeah. to me, that the problem is now is like you have all these people who don't go through proper training, and there there's some people who are just great on camera, but for the most part, it's like they don't. They don't know what, a lot of them don't know what they're doing, you know. Right. Well, they knew what they're doing in front of a camera, but if you put them on stage, oh please, bye bye. Hello, you know? welcome to stand up world of stand up comedy. They do a wow. funny video, yeah. And they get a million, it goes viral. They get booked at a comedy club because That's crazy. people are going to show up, and they they don't know how to do an hour on stage. They don't know how That's to crazy. Really write a joke. Yeah, it's awful. That's terrible. Um, wow. I love just going back to your mother that she i mean there's something she said to you that she said always assume everyone else is an idiot yeah when I mean, she's driving yeah yeah and yeah. she she you could you guys couldn't get on a flight and she made you guys stand out in front of the plane on the tarmac to make sure six i was i think i was like at six or seven or no dad left us so i was about eight seven ish yeah. eight ish and um it was going to tobago back then west indies yeah. where my grandfather had a place and uh, he was a fascinating guy because he bought up this land in tobago opened up a cocoa plant right and uh, 600 acres in the jungly back part of the island and had a, a, a plant, you know, sort of growing cocoa and stuff. And it was also cool about him. He made all the natives not work for him, but partners in the business. I know, that to me was so beautiful. And called them all Mr. I love him. Everybody. And he always him. referred. Uh, but the flip side of it, he was really abusive to my mom, like right. my stepdad. Which, and my stepfather, too. He didn't have he didn't. He, as my, as Nico says, his thoughts are so lofty. He wouldn't know racism. It it kicked him in the face. Right. I mean, he just didn't, he didn't deal on that plane. And, but, but anyway, but we went to, we went to Tobago and mom was just like, you know, we sat in front of the plane and we were not moving. And she said to all three of us, she said, you three are all you have in this world. You stick together. together. Yeah. And I never forgot that. And, uh, and then they just hustle us out of there and they took off without us. I think, you know, I mean, she was, but she had just, you know, been, uh, dad left her and she had, you know, your single mom with three kids. I mean, that's like, and dad was not, I mean, my dad was, he had a lot of great qualities, but he was not a moneymaker. He was not a business guy. He was not like, you know, couldn't take take care of that. You know, that's a tough position. And I remember Linus, the guy, 
with, I remember we were in, uh, we went to France with him and me and Nico and you know, this guy's insane. He's we're scoring hash at Notre Dame. You know, right. we're like, he's turning us on to co- all these co-connections. We're 17 years old. We were drinking in his room. You know, he's introducing us to Babancourt rum, which is like some, and, and, yeah. and all these drinks and half, we had a half yard, which was like you poured beer in it. It was a half yard of booze, right. but we got to, um, Nico made this recording and I'll never forget, you know, I'm saying what a dick Ben was. And he said, your poor mother, what was she supposed to do? You right. know, I mean, she, she had you kids. I mean, she didn't have a pot. To I know she in. thought this was a way out, you know? Yeah, I think so. And but I think I that's why that she stuck with it. You got drunk at her wedding that I love. Um, at 10 years old. Yeah. yeah. It's great. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to part one of Kill Me Now with Rob Sedgwick. What a life, huh? What a life. Read the book. It's really good. Kill Me Now is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Brittany Joe Sowards. Please subscribe. Please leave a review. Make sure it's five stars like I'm an Uber driver. Yeah. Buy my book. Yes, I can say that when they come for the comedians. We're all in trouble. Can you believe I'm saying that for a year? For a year. This book has been out for a year. It's a great book. And if you're in the car driving, you can get the audiobook. Watch Hysterical on Hulu. I'm giving you all these things that you need to do. And go to my website, judygold.com, because you can order my book there. You can see what I'm doing. I'm going to Atlanta on August 1st. I'm in Provincetown all summer, two days a week, Friday and Saturday in July, Tuesday and Wednesday in August. You know, Twitter and Insty at Judy Gold, J-E-W-D-Y-G-O-L-D, because I'm a Jew, and uh, I spell it like that, and people get insulted, but I don't fucking care. Um, So that's it. Please be safe. I'm now wearing my mask uh, when I sign books and stuff after my show, because, you know, Delta variant, what's that flower you have on? So um, be safe. If you're not vaccinated, you're mentally ill and have are fucking selfish. Okay, so that's it. I, I love you all for listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a great week. I'll be back next week with part two. And as we always say, so long. Don't forget to tune in next week to Just Kill Me Now. Um, or, it's Just Kill Me. Oh. Don't forget to turn uh, for part two on Just Kill Me no, it's not. It's just, just kill me. Now. No, Judy Gold's just no, kill me. Just, just, just kill me now. <laughs> Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.